It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, 30 years after the series had launched. The Babylon podcast was a dream given form. Its goal, to discuss the place where humans and aliens could work out their differences peacefully. It's a port of call, home away from home for established fans, newbies, John, Blaine, and guests. Humans and aliens wrapped in 2,500,000 tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. It can be a dangerous place. Wait, what? But it's our last, best hope for peace. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2024. The name of the podcast is... Babylon 5, 30 Years Later. Hello. Many of you will recognize my voice because this is coming out in my regular podcast feeds. Some of you may not because it's also coming out in other podcast feeds. I am Blaine Dowler. And I am John Wilson. And we are here for a almost like a prequel episode to a new podcasting venture that we are doing together. Which is exciting because this is the first time to regularly podcast together. Although we've done some extensive podcast stuff together before, but this is, our, this is a new thing. Yes, a few years ago, when Marvel was having its 75th anniversary, I had the unofficial 75 Marvels or 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, which is enough of a mouthful of a title that years later I'm messing it up. <laughs> and we had 75 episodes of that going through the fan-voted 75 Greatest Marvel Stories of All Time. I put out a general call on Facebook saying, hey, who wants to be the second voice on some of these episodes? And John spoke up and ended up doing 17 of them as the most prolific co-host. 17 out of 75. I felt like I was there a lot, which not in a bad way at all. But um, I'm surprised it's not more like 74 and a half out of 75. But that was, that was a lot of fun. But here we're talking about not, not comics, but, but Babylon 5. Yes, my X-Files retrospective show has, for the most part, wrapped up. I've covered all the TV episodes and movies with some occasional comics and stuff thrown in that may come out sporadically. But I had a TV itch to scratch. I felt the need to podcast with John again. So I reached out and we went back and forth on ideas and here we are. And this is going to be coming out both on your feed, which is Bureau42.com and on my feed, which is JohnReadsComics.com, which as a recording, uh, I have just recently finished putting together as a uh, place of a network of all of my shows. So, um, you know, Superman in Crisis was something I did. Uh, if all goes according to plan, then the weekly dose of Superman show is currently coming out. And this will be coming out alongside it. Yeah, and those of you who are listening to the Bureau 42 Master audio feed will also know that I am currently doing uh, 99 Years, 100 Films with Trey Hooks, where we go through the first 100 movies that have won Best Picture. Even though we don't know what all 100 of those are yet at the time of the recording, we will by the time that monthly series wraps. You just learned another one. Yes, the, the day this is recorded is less than a week after we found out that Coda is on the list. I literally had no idea what the Best Picture was because of all the contro controversy that came up with the... Uh that particular Oscars, which is now ancient history as this is going out. Yeah, so people may or may not remember the whole paper beats rock meme thing that's been going all week. 
so I've got that. I have the old time radio show where I just have one announcement and then several weeks of old time radio uninterrupted, unedited, just that episode as it exists, as well as uh, bedtime in the public domain. These are the shows that I anticipate will be active when you finally hear this roughly 21 months after we record it. Yes. One thing I, I first was a little bit in awe of, but as I have now done my own long lead time podcast project, I have a lot more respect and appreciation for Blaine likes to do long lead times. So we're releasing this in 2024. We actually recorded it in the 70s, and uh, it's just been sitting there for a while. <laughs> yeah, and I will tell you the amount of noise reduction it took to get these off those eight tracks was <laughs> really a pain in the butt. I forgot, I have this as we're recording this, this summer I'm planning on working on a Spider-Man project as well, so if that comes to fruition, there could be a Spider-Man podcast out there a Spider-Man narrative podcast that I haven't settled on a title for yet as we're talking. So more about that later. Okay. And in the meantime, if you found this from its dedicated feed, just because you're looking for Babylon 5, if you like what you hear in the coming weeks, you now know what else you can go and look for and track down from us. So if they're here to hear about Babylon 5, we should talk about Babylon 5. Yeah, so when we were going through trying to figure out what was going on, uh, you were actually the first to suggest this particular show. So why did it spring to mind? A couple of reasons. Uh, one is that uh, as I have been reading through some 90s comics reading projects, I also like to watch through some 90s TV shows. Babylon 5 is one of those things that I have seen only a little bit of and want to watch more of. It's also a show that I know has a lot going on, like maybe more than any other show of its era. It had a lot going on with the little I've seen. I know very little of all of that, but I love diving into a world. I love diving into a continuity and a universe and a complex narrative. And the idea of doing that usually goes along with listening to podcasts, but I also like to explore those things as a first-time viewer. And so whenever you and I were talking about different show ideas, uh, I was like, well, what do you know about Babylon 5? And I know that based on what I knew about Blaine, you were either unexperienced with it or knew a whole, 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 whole lot about it. <laughs> so... Either way, I was ready to to find out your answer. Yeah, and my experience with Babylon 5, I missed most of it in the first broadcast. I saw one episode that I'm not even going to mention this season. I was at one of the annual Canadian undergraduate physics conferences, which were awesome for those of us who were doing undergraduate physics degrees at the time. It's an annual thing in Canada, which is also the reason I've got the autographs of five Nobel Prize winners on airline vomit bags, but that's another story. And one of the events that happened at one of them was a Babylon 5 viewing day, because there's a lot of Babylon 5 fans in that physics community when it was live. So I watched one episode deep in the series, and, you know, it wasn't bad. It 
didn't blow my mind like it blew the minds of the others in the room. Uh, there was one bit that I actually thought was quite corny when I watched it. And then, you know, the people who were still raving about it kept talking about it, kept talking about it. Then they put out a TV movie called In the Beginning, which was, I thought, a prequel. So I figured, okay, that's safe to watch if I ever get into it, because I knew it was continuity heavy. I watched it and enjoyed it, but it did have a framing story, which has some spoilers in it. So I do not recommend beginning there. That's my impression of it as well. Is that a, you, this? They, it, I mean, technically, it's a prequel because it, it comes. It is made after what takes place earlier, but. Yeah, because of the information that it gives away. If you want a spoiler-free experience, avoid that in the beginning film. Yeah, there. As I said, it actually has a framing story which is set after the series or after the the prequel. So there's when we get to it in the podcast, we will discuss it. But from there, I held off until the a future. TV movie that was kicking off the spin-off Crusade. And I saw that one and then watched Crusade on a weekly basis. That one I saw in its entirety and enjoyed. When the DVDs came out, based on the reputation, I put it on my Christmas wish list and my parents got it for me. I felt a little guilty when it showed up because I didn't realize that while most TV seasons at the time were ranging between $50 and $60 Canadian, Babylon 5 was running 95 this was a little expensive, and when I got into that first season, it didn't grab me the way I was expecting it to. Mm-hmm. So I I watched every episode on a weekly basis, almost like a, a chore out of guilt because my parents had spent so much on it because I asked them to. Well, sorry, and that one wasn't, that wouldn't have been the Christmas. That would have been the birthday list because my birthday's a few months before Christmas, and my parents saw me watching it. I was just going to watch season one and then walk away from the series. But then I got season two for Christmas because they said, oh, yeah, you've been watching it. So we assume you're enjoying it. Here's the next season. <laughs> and I am very glad that happened because by the time I finished disc two, I was hooked. By the time season three came out on DVD, I worked until eight. I picked up the season on the way home, had dinner. I figured at nine o'clock I have time to watch an episode. And then a few hours later, I was like, no, 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 I cannot load disc four. I must sleep. I work tomorrow. Right, right. Because it, the biggest challenge I think I'm going to have is that we have decided to record these on a regular schedule, but release them 30 years after each episode aired. Not 30 years after we record them, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so there's going to be that 30-year that delay. So when the show took two months off, we won't be covering new episodes for those two months, although we're talking about, you know, maybe bonus or feedback episodes to kind of fill the time and keep something in the feeds. Right. But in in any event, I, I watched them mostly on DVD, which means I saw them in the order the DVDs came out. So the first episode, The Gathering, that two-hour pilot movie, I didn't see until after season five had been viewed because that's the order of release. Wow. They released the five seasons and then the movies box set that had The Gathering and the four movies that released concurrent with season five. So this will actually be my first time viewing the entire series in broadcast order. I will be doing that with the Babylon 5 script books that were released a few years ago. 
and I'll, I've seen them on DVDs and I will be now watching them on the iTunes Remastered, which makes some visual changes that I believe start with Season 1, Episode 1, Midnight in the Line of Fire. So I will talk about that a little bit more once we reach that point. So when this show was on in 1994, 5, 6, etc., I was very aware of it. And the 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 visuals for this show are extremely distinctive, especially the alien designs. You know, there are several major characters who are probably spend hours in the chair every morning because they're not human. And I remember seeing them and just that was basically all the association I had of the show. I was a Star Trek person. I was watching Deep Space Nine. I didn't feel the need for another science fiction space station show. And we'll talk about, you know, that whole association here in just a few minutes. But um, I didn't actually sit down and start watching Babylon 5 until just a handful of years ago when I tried the pilot film and slowly watched through the first season. And my reaction to it is basically what you said. The first season didn't grab me. But I was listening to podcasts along the way, and their excitement and the excitement I've just generally heard in, you know, sci-fi fandom circles for the show kind of kept me going as an anticipatory thing. So I feel like I have not yet seen where the show really gets underway. And so that's, uh, that's intriguing and exciting for me to, to get to that point. But I have seen enough where I'm curious about the characters. I can't recall their names all off the top of my head right now because it's been a while since I've you know watched any of it. But um, as we're going through this show, the first season will be a second viewing for me. So you know, you know that experience where you saw it a long time ago, you're watching it again, it feels kind of fresh still. But then once we get past the finale of season one, everything about this show will be completely new. And what I'm hoping is that as we're going through and we're talking, we will be able to say, especially Blaine will be able to say, this particular thing, this is important. You should flag this in your brain, but we're not going to spoil as to why. So you won't get any answers to questions ahead of time, but at least we'll be able to say, pay attention to these things. I can almost do that right now. <laughs> Even though season one feels like it's a long sequence of standalone episodes, especially establishing the characters as they join the crew, often one at a time, every single episode has something that the series will come back to in one form or another in season one. Babylon 5 is heavily serialized. You're putting together pieces of a puzzle. And one thing that JMS said he learned from the Babylon 5 experience that he did differently in Crusade is that in Babylon 5, he did all the backstory up front. So he didn't really dig in and start telling the Babylon 5 story in earnest until season 2, because season 1 was putting the pieces in place. But season 1, those pieces are spaced out so much that if you haven't been told, you don't realize that they're all pieces of one big puzzle. It's like a mosaic puzzle. If you've seen those you know, thousand-piece jigsaw puzzles that are mosaics where you have a large number of small pieces of art but you put them together and take a step back and it they all make the Mona Lisa when you put them together the right way that is Babylon 5 season 1 you've got the individual pieces of art 
but you don't even know to take a step back and that there's going to be a mosaic there. But from what I'm hearing the second time through, and this will be my second time through the whole series, you can sit there and go, oh, that's it. I've had some of those experiences because I read the script books as they were coming out. So rather than rewatching the series, I reread the scripts. And you'll hear, you know, or there's things like, you know, JMS says, I knew we were going to need this in season four, so we'll establish it here. And that's coming in season one. This is a series so heavily planned that it almost didn't get made. Because when he was pitching it to networks, they were saying, you cannot tell a five-year story. Cast members come and go. To which he responded, well, who and when? Because he had three exit points for any major character in any given season. And plans for other characters to fill in the story needs should that actor choose to leave. Which does happen in the course of the series. So he's got it all very laid out. This is one of the few series where parts of the series finale were written before he'd finished writing The Gathering, which is the pilot. And I feel like this is the kind of, uh, kind of writing approach that people wanted to have going on with shows like Lost. You know, that shows that are serial and you must see every episode to really follow everything. The other one, Battlestar Galactica, shows where there's obviously so much behind what we're actually seeing that you want the comfort of knowing that the writers have planned where this is going. And that I don't think is always the case with some of those long-term, you know, mystery or long-term saga type storytelling. And to know that it, that is the situation here, even though to my understanding, there's some interference with the narrative structure between seasons four and five. We can talk about that later. You know, he did have a plan. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly where he was going. It was just a matter of writing the actual details of the plots along the way. The world building had been done. There's a series, a book series I absolutely love called The Wheel of Time. And it was 14 books and it took 25 years and the first author's death and the second author finishing up to finish the series. But when he started, he had the final scene already decided and mostly written before the first book was published. And that kind of pre-planning, that kind of comfort and knowledge that we know where we're going, to me, is, is exciting. It is. When you see other long-term shows that fumble the landing, when I'm in the TV groups and they're saying, okay, what are your all-time favorite series finales, right? Top five, top 10. I won't spoil exactly where this falls in my top five, but it's there. And because it was planned, one of the things that JMS or J. Michael Straczynski had issues with with TV in general it's that stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so many shows are dedicated to stretching out the middle that there was no real deviation. And you have a few years at times with the same status quo from episode to episode, like a lot of 80s and 90s sitcoms. There's a lot of shows where, with the possible exception of season premieres and season finales, you could watch them in almost any order, which includes a huge chunk of Star Trek The Next Generation, mm -hmm. which was the sci-fi show that was already on the air when he started pitching it. While Deep Space Nine 
aired first. It, it, the first episode of Deep Space Nine aired a few weeks before the first episode of The Gathering, or of Babylon 5, The Gathering. JMS had already been pitching it by the time anyone knew what was going on with Babylon, or with Deep Space Nine, which we can talk about there, because he, he pitched Babylon 5 to the people who ended up inventing or creating Deep Space Nine to some degree. No, no one whose names actually appear in the Deep Space Nine credits, but there is reason to believe that the Deep Space Nine writers were getting notes from people who are very familiar with the Babylon 5 plan. Mm. So, yeah, up to that point, there wasn't a lot of serialization. Babylon 5 was the first heavily serialized 22 episodes per year outside the soap opera thing. There were some with, you know, Dynasty and Knots Landing, but they were billed as primetime soap operas. Right. But the 90s, that changed with Babylon 5, Deep Space Nine, and The X-Files, I think, are the three, all of which aired their first episodes in the year 1993. <laughs> of those, of those, I think X-Files is the most serialized. Yeah. Or Babylon 5, sorry, is the most serialized. Babylon 5, no, I had not have seen it, but that's my understanding as well. But and even though those three were breaking those television lines that early, I feel like television, it's you know, as a whole, didn't really start to follow suit until a, a few years. Well, I guess so. Deep Space Nine ends in two thousand. About that, it ran seven seasons, but started as a mid-season replacement in January of nineteen ninety-three. So it ends in I think nineteen ninety-nine. So Smallville starts in two thousand one, and that's a show that I think of as one that sort of straddles the. It, when it starts out, it's extremely episodic and extremely separated and extremely single episode. But then by the time you get to the end of Smallville, TV expectations have shifted and it's telling season-long story arcs, which is a much more common thing nowadays. Yeah. I think Buffy starting in 97 was a big part of that too. Buffy. Yes, Buffy was probably a big deal. Uh, I say probably. Yes. And um, of course, I mentioned earlier Lost and Babylon 5 and not Babylon 5, Lost and Battlestar Galactica and Heroes were also long-form storytelling where you must see episode to episode. And I feel like those had a really big impact on TV show storytelling. But rewind 10 years, and Babylon 5 and X-Files were doing it first in Deep Space Nine. They were. And I think, honestly, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, to me, feels more like the Lee Ditko Spider-Man model, where... You'd have a monster of the week, but it's the personal lives where the status quo adjusts. Mm -hmm. So you'll have that big bad that might be brimming in the background, like the Green Goblin story that they did. You know, they'd have the odd two-parter for the main event. But largely, it was, you know, Vulture this issue and Doc Ock next issue and Sandman the next issue. And it was Peter Parker's personal life that shifted the status quo. But the villain he was fighting, for the most part, was standalone. And that was sort of the Buffy model. The next big shift in television in that Battlestar lost Smallville era was actually Netflix. I've heard it said on the Nerdist Writers Panel that Netflix has changed what networks will allow you to do because Netflix and DVD releases, because TV on VHS was not profitable with the exceptions of Star Trek and Babylon 5, but it, it was Netflix and the DVD releases that allowed writers the freedom to tell serialized storytelling because a lot of times the networks were saying no because the concern they had 
was that if people missed a week, they wouldn't come back because they would feel lost. That's why they wanted episodic storytelling. But with DVDs and Netflix, it became reasonable to assume that people would be watching every episode in sequence. Mm -hmm. Because that's the way the streaming services provide. And Netflix was the first to stream by far, even though now there's dozens. It was supposed to... Initially, it could have reasonably replaced a cable bill. No. You have the same cable bill. You just don't have <laughs> Right. It's just my preferred approach to, to franchises anyway. If I want to get into something, I want to start at the beginning. Um, it's something that I'm sort of, I don't know, among friends, maybe a little bit notorious for, is that if, if someone recommends something to me, I'm probably going to avoid picking up at the current popular interest level. I'm going to go back to the beginning and find out how it all started. My intro back into DC Comics in 2008 uh, was a friend of mine at work was like, you really need to read Green Lantern because Jeff Johns's Green Lantern stuff was all the rage in 2008. So I'm like, okay, great. All American Comics 16, <laughs> 1940 is what I picked up. And I didn't know that story when I joked that John's the kind of guy where if you say Superman 852 was really good, he go back to Action Comics 1. Uh-huh. And... And look forward to reaching that that issue in the 800s that you told them was really good of another series. Exactly, exactly. Which, you know, I have read up through Action Comics 600, almost 660 now from Action Comics 1. So I'm working on it. I'll get to 852 soon. Okay, so, yeah, that is where we are coming from. I am looking forward to taking this journey again. I have always been a fan of serialized storytelling. And I did not realize how much influence JMS had on my childhood. Because growing up, uh, Robotech was my first exposure to serialized storytelling. And that didn't go as well as I'd hoped. Because the no local TV station had it out of sequence. Mm. Their Saturday morning cartoon lineup, Saturdays and Sunday mornings, went from the earliest target demographic to the oldest. And Robotech was supposed to be marketed at the 15-year-olds. They had it at 5 a.m., between Little Clowns of Happy Town and the Snorks. So I don't think they were thinking of it as 15. I think they were thinking of it as 5. I remember getting up, because I've always been a morning person, I would get up, I would make my cereal, I would eat it, I would go down, I would turn on the TV and watch the test pattern for a while until Max the 2,000-year-old mouse came on, and then Little Clowns of Happy Town, and then Robotech started at 5 a.m. And there's an episode of Robotech where the orphan boy main character's father figure dies on screen in a massive explosion. And I think they got phone calls because the audience they were, that they had it slotted in was not ready for that mm -hmm. because that guy blew up. It went to commercials and never came back ever. That episode didn't finish. So Roatech is something I came back to later. And then other serialized storytelling I was watching there's the adventures of Teddy Ruxpin, and then how it's relevant. The real Ghostbusters in the good seasons were the ones where it was serialized, and the showrunner was JMS. And Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future showrunner was J. Michael Straczynski, which actually has some evidence of the amount of planning that JMS was doing and how long this idea was bubbling, because one of the characters on Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, which premiered in 1990, has an ID card that lists his place of birth as Babylon 5. Nice. Captain Power is also an interesting show in that it is a dystopia, sort of like the, the war between man and machines, except the 
in the pilot episode, the war is over and humanity already lost. You know, I don't really remember Captain Planet very well beyond the um, the opening credits and the them putting their hands together, you know, turning into or summoning Captain Planet. So I should probably go back and check some of it. Uh, this is Captain Power, though. Oh, I'm sorry. My brain was completely misinterpreting what you were saying. Captain Power. Yes, Captain Planet was the animated series that was very eco-friendly that actually had Tom Cruise as the voice of Captain Planet in its first season. That lasted about three years. Okay. Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future was a one-season, 22-episode, half-hour, serialized, Saturday morning, live-action show set in a dystopian future after man lost the war with machines with toy tie-ins because the, the toys had the light guns so you could shoot each other and it would flip open the cockpit and eject the guy if you got hit. And you're supposed to play against the TV, but you couldn't hurt the TV, but the TV could hurt you. It had early CGI and some of the same themes that show up in Babylon 5. I remember that interacting with the TV thing. I never watched this, but I have it on my computer screen now. I'm going to have to check this out. So just to reiterate how this is coming out, uh, we are going to be, except for this first episode that is alongside this. So right now in the feed, you should see a zero episode, which you're listening to now. And the first episode, which is our discussion of the pilot film, The Gathering. We did not want to make an 11 month delay between episodes one and two. We figured that might be a little bit gauche. So we're releasing this a week before the 30th anniversary of the proper season one, episode one. So next week will be our discussion of Midnight on the Firing Line, which is season one, episode one. And from that point forward, every episode will come out on the 30th anniversary of its original episodes release. So if you have an episode guide, if you search Wikipedia, whatever, and you see the list of episode release dates, those are when our episodes are going to come out. Just add 30 to the year. And I, I think it's only fair that at the end of each episode we announce, you can expect the next episode on. Right. John just said The Gathering was the only exception, because when we were talking about it, we said The Gathering was the only exception. little behind-the-curtain talk now in front of the curtain. I think we should do the same with the final two made-for-TV movies, because otherwise we'll have the final episode of Crusade, and then three years before the next podcast, and then four years before the next podcast. So I think... That seems reasonable. We'll have a lead time. We might as well do those. We don't want to. De- we don't need to end with ninety nine and then two thousand two and then two thousand seven, or rather twenty nine, thirty two, and thirty seven. Yes, yeah, so we'll probably put all that together. Sequential weeks. All right. So the only real gaps will be in the run of the podcast, mimicking the gaps in the original run of the series. We do have an email address where feedback can come. That is. Babylon 5, 30 years later at gmail.com. So you can send feedback there and we will record feedback episodes, which I think will probably slot into those breaks that the show was taking mm-hmm. so that we can you know, go through and discuss it, you know, give you guys the, the feedback. And we that feedback could be in text form that we read on the show. It could be retweets. It could be iTunes reviews. Or if you want to record your feedback, and just send us the audio file. We could drop that in as well. So we'll, we'll take all of those formats. All interaction is welcome. So, yeah, I, we've talked about our history with the show. We've talked about why we're doing it. And 
what the show is going to be. Is there anything else we should cover here before we dive into the gathering over on episode episode 1.00? I will just give listeners a fair warning. We're going to try not to, to do spoilers. We might say they put a pin in that mm-hmm. idea, but especially since John is unfamiliar with where this is going, and I think we agree that the best way to experience the story is as the author did it. So the biggest issue I think is going to restrain, going to be restraining ourselves to watching things in our recording schedule and not binging before we get there. If any listeners are planning to do the same, that's encouraged. I will give you guys the same warning I gave John. If you are doing that on the IMDb, do not check the complete series cast lists. Only check the individual episode cast lists if you are so inclined because there is a spoiler in there. To use the analogy for Superman, as people know, we come up from comics, John in particular has a lot of Superman projects. It is akin to having them talk about Superman before Superman appears on the show, but if you read the cast list, you'll have already met Clark Kent. So there, there is something like that going on. And I definitely appreciate the approach of calling attention to, especially if, if something feels like a minor plot detail or something that doesn't matter, saying, oh, no, no, that matters. <laughs> There's this fantasy epic series I'm reading right now called The Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. And there are so many elements that he sprinkles in to early movie books because they're part of background world building that's going to become very plot narrative important in later volumes. And you don't realize that he's doing it on the first time reading, but whenever you've read a lot and you go back and reread, you're like, oh, he was already saying that. So being able to say this part right here or this character that only appears on one page, yeah, that's actually somebody you want to, you want to make a mental note of. Yeah, very much so. And that's part of the, the spoilers I had. There's you know, a guest star in one episode of season one uh, because, like I said, Babylon 5 was popular in that, that physics community. When we were hanging out in the common room, those who watched Babylon 5 would go off to a corner and discuss it every week. And so when this guest star appears for the first and potentially only time, I was going, oh, I know that name and I know the emotion that comes out in the voice when they say that name. <laughs> so I was paying way more attention to that character than I otherwise would have. Anyway, I think that wraps it up. So yeah, please jump on to our second episode, which if all goes as planned is also in the Is It Jaws podcast feed where Paul Spataro brings on rotating guests on a regular basis to discuss a variety of movies. So we're bringing him on to talk about The Gathering. Yeah, to talk about The Gathering because that's... An idea we were kicking around a couple of years ago was to go on Is It Jaws to talk about The Gathering. And now that this is coming, we said, you know what? Let's just do it all. Paul has guested on our 99 Years 100 Films podcast and vice versa. And when we do it, we just share the episode in both feeds. So to those of us, or to those who might have found us because you heard us on Is It Jaws, welcome aboard. We're looking for a good ride. All right. So you have the... um... The email address, Babylon5, 30 years later at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, and we look forward to this journey. Yes, and thank you for listening. <laughs>